here we are now that the holidays are behind us. Uh, we will return to our study looking in the book of Genesis that we started back in November. And as a way of reminder, we note at the outset of this study uh, that this book was written uh, to your spiritual ancestors um, who themselves shared several circumstantial circumstances that are situations that you currently uh, have now in a transitional place that you are. Um, in our last sermon uh, before the holidays, we saw, we looked at the creation of humanity. And we saw there that uh, it was demonstrated that humanity itself uh, was the pinnacle of God's creation. That humanity being created in God's image was a pretty unique, <laughs> and still is today, philosophical claim for the basis of intrinsic worth as a human being. But that is the unique situation. That is the unique reality of being created in God's image that each one of us, each of your neighbors, each of your coworkers is created uniquely human because they are in God's image. That is the basis for our worth as a human being. And so this morning we come to the seventh day of creation, the creation work week, so to speak. And as we come to this passage, I would remind us of just one more thing that we've said again and again, that although this book was written for us as God's people, no doubt, for our benefit, it wasn't written directly to us. It was written to a particular people in a particular time with cultural and contextual characteristics that were very different from ours. Moses didn't write in English. <laughs> But God doesn't speak in code. He doesn't talk in code. He writes plainly. He communicates plainly. And he communicated plainly to the original audience. And so it does, it behooves us to do as best we can to use our brains. We don't get to check out our minds and our brains when we come to God's word. But to consider what it, what it must have meant first for the original audience and then begin to apply to ourselves what God might have for us. So with that, all of that, Will you follow along now with me as I read just three short verses this morning? Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is God's holy word. Will you pray with me one more time? Heavenly Father, we do now come to your presence and we ask that you would meet with us as we encounter your word given to us, written thousands of years ago, but now we pray by your Holy Spirit, be present Jesus is the one with the words of eternal life. Would you bring these words to life in our own hearts, our own minds, our own lives? That through this encounter, we may genuinely know and be able to say that we have met with the living God. That is our prayer now. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, I have now made the nearly 18-hour drive between New York City and Palm Bay three times now. 
uh, ordinarily for my uh, visits when I return home during my interim period here, I'll fly back uh, to be with Jen, or she'll fly here. And by the way, she is coming here in a few weeks, so that's, uh, you'll get to spend some more time with her. But because I had booked that mountain cabin up in the Adirondacks, it required some transportation to get there, so we needed a car. So I drove back this time. Now, in my younger days, I could have done that drive in one day. I could have sat down, turned on the call, and only had to pull over to fill up gas. <laughs> Multiple times I remember in college driving all day, all night through Kansas from Tennessee to Colorado to be able to go skiing and not think one thing about it, <laughs> not be concerned at all for my safety. Never got tired, but not anymore. <laughs> I now have a newfounded, sincere, and deep appreciation for rest areas. <laughs> rest stops. I no longer feel I'm less of a man when I need to pull over because I'm tired <laughs> and I need to rest. In this passage, we're told something about rest, something about God, in fact, that at first glance must seem absolutely shocking. To begin with, Moses, once again, as we've seen before, uses repetition and rhythm to communicate something or to make a point. Verse 2, on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God has ceased what he was doing. And on this, the seventh day, God rested. God did. (laughs) What in the world does that mean? (laughs) Surely Moses is not suggesting that God somehow needs a nap. Granted, it was certainly a big task put the cosmos in place. (laughs) But surely he doesn't intend to communicate that God gets tired. Of course not. After all, Psalm 191 clearly states, he who keeps Israel never slumbers nor sleeps. This must mean something else. (laughs) And what this means is that rest, at least for God, must be something other than slumbering or sleeping or getting tired. A reaction, a response to getting tired. And as you might have guessed, the text does actually give us clues right here. First of all, notice the text doesn't simply say that God stopped working. Simply. Rather, it's repeated and stated three times that there was cessation from the work that he had done. The work he had been involved in to that point. That's not the same thing as saying that God stopped working altogether and simply disengaged from his created cosmos. And furthermore, Moses doesn't simply say that God rested. He says he rested from something. Specifically, the end of verse 3 says that he rested from all the work he had done in creation. The creating work 
is complete. It's done. And now God is doing something else in response. He is resting. But again, when you and I think of rest, we immediately think relaxation and napping. But the biblical concept of rest is not primarily a reaction to tiredness. In the Hebrew scriptures, there are actually two main verbs that the Old Testament writers use for rest. The first one is sabbat, from which we get the word Sabbath. The second one is nuah, which has the same etymological root as Noah. And we'll see this, this will come back to later. Here in Genesis 2, the word is sabbat. However, in Exodus 20, as Moses expounds on the fourth commandment to keep the Sabbath holy, the sabbat holy, he writes something that very closely mirrors Genesis 2, verse 3. There he writes, for in six days, the Lord made the heaven and the earth and rested on the seventh day. But there he uses the word nuach, rested. In other words, in the Hebrew language, these words for rest are very closely connected. In Deuteronomy 12, after writing about the warfare that they faced in front of them, something that the video alluded to, Moses tells God's people that when they finally get to the land that God had promised, at that time, God would give them rest from all their enemies. Now Moses didn't mean that they were going to be able to finally take a nap and get some sleep in the promised land. Rather, God was promising that all the disorder, all the chaos, all the affliction that resulted from the warfare that they would be engaged in would be a thing of the past. Instead, they would now know order and harmony and shalom. In that respect, God was going to give them rest. In other words, rest is what happens when things are ordered. In our English language, we actually have a similar concept associated with rest, but we only see it in our language in its negation. When we add the word, think about when we add the word with a prefix, un, to rest, what do you get? (laughs) The word unrest means a heck of a lot more than simply not sleeping, (laughs) not napping. It means disorder. It means turmoil. It means anxiety. That's unrest. And so in that light, to move from unrest to rest is a lot more than just sleep. (laughs) It's peace. It's shalom. It's the comfort that comes from things being put together the way they were intended to be by a good God. That's the idea of the Hebrew concept of rest. And so per Genesis 2, when things in the entire cosmos are organized in such a way that they were intended to be and can properly function, God rests. But there's even more happening in God's rest here. 
Listen to Psalm 132. There we read, Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place. And then, for the Lord has chosen Zion, saying, This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell. The psalmist there is asking God to rest in the temple. But he's not asking God to come and relax but rather to set up his rule from right there in the temple. Make that his oval office, so to speak. And so by asking God to go to his resting place, the psalmist isn't asking God to make his bed there. He's asking God to make his throne there. In other words, in God's rest, God rules. And so when God rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. He was finished establishing the order out of the chaos that he started with in verse two of chapter one. Remember the tohu vabohu. He had finished bringing complete order and structure and proper function to all aspects of creation. The cosmos was now fully completed regarding its purpose and now he was ceasing from the creating work he had been doing and was beginning his ruling work. It's what theologians refer to as the difference between his creative rule versus providential rule. Now notice that thus far we have seen a repetition and rhythm of the prior six days of creation. I know we're going back over a month now since we were in chapter one. But perhaps you recall that each day was clearly defined and set apart from the other days. Remember how? Each day finished with the chorus, there was evening and there was morning. The first day. And then repeats each day. But here, in the seventh day, there is no evening and morning the seventh day. It's missing. Now, when rhythm and repetition has obviously been a key component to the text thus far, its absence must be important. So what might it mean to the original reader or hearer in that day? Certainly, they would have been wondering if somehow, not hearing evening and morning the seventh day, somehow, is the seventh day possibly continuing in some way? (laughs) Well, if God rests by ending his work of creation and beginning to rule by his providence? And the answer is yes. And Jesus actually says this. When the Pharisees come to him, accosting him, if you recall, for healing on the Sabbath. Remember, they were charging him with working on the Sabbath, which was a huge no-no. Jesus not so subtly responds to them and speaks to them in such a way that they likely hear a brash statement of blasphemy. He says to them, my father in heaven has been working until now. And I am working. No, God is not creating anymore. But he is working by ruling by his providential care. His rest didn't mean that he disengaged from his creation on day seven. The Bible doesn't teach deism. He remains engaged. Therefore, God's resting on day seven continues because his ruling 
continues to this day. Now, this is not an unfamiliar concept to us as good Reformed folk. (laughs) After all, we rightfully emphasize and celebrate the doctrine of God's sovereignty. God rules. And we know this cognitively. We know this theoretically. But knowing something cognitively does not always translate, doesn't necessarily mean that we actually believe it and live by it by faith. How often do we still live functionally as deists? Sure, God got it all started, (laughs) but it's it's up to us to, to maintain It's up to us to keep the order, especially when difficult circumstances and disorder in this fallen world arises in our lives. When things go swimmingly, (laughs) when life is coasting, it's much easier to talk a big game about faith and believing and trusting in God's sovereignty. But when our lives are interrupted by turmoil, by unrest, it is then when we are confronted with what we really believe, truly. It's in those times in our sinful brokenness we are prone to try to control things, to try to control circumstances, to try to control relationships, to try to control people, to try to control conversations. And we do it passive-aggressively, we do it aggressively, And I'll be the first to acknowledge and admit my guilt here. (laughs) When I believe I know what the best path or decision is (laughs) going forward, instead of simply being faithful and obedient as a follower and disciple of Jesus, I can sense an inner urge and fallen proclivity to want to manipulate things. Try to steer things to go a certain way. My friends, (laughs) God doesn't ask for Nor does he need our help in ordering the cosmos. Far less does he need our help ordering the immediate circumstances, even those of unrest in our lives. Rather, he simply asks us as his people, as his disciples, to be faithful in our walk with him. So yes, there will be times when it will be absolutely necessary to move forward into unrest, difficult, turmoil times with courage. Sometimes that will mean having to have difficult conversations. Sometimes that will mean to redemptively interact in difficult circumstances. But there's a big difference between acting out of a need to try to control things and engaging rather out of a courageous humility that at the end of the day rests in the sovereign faithfulness of a good God. And so therefore you and I can be faithful. We can use wisdom. We can use courage. We can engage in this fallen world with fallen circumstances, with other fallen people just like ourselves. But at the end of the day, we'll still be able to put our heads on our pillows and rest the way as we humans rest 
Because in God's rest, he still has things under his providential care and control. And so we can rest. There's one final aspect of God's resting here that would be helpful for us to appreciate. Notice that God specifically blesses the seventh day. We've already seen him bless the birds and the fish. We've seen him bless humanity. But only here in all of the Bible, only here, does God bless an inanimate object. What might it mean for God to bless a day? Prior to receiving this text, the ancient Near Eastern Israelite would have been used to working hard. And that's putting their experience in a much better light than their enslavement would have borne out. But the Israelites would have been used to working day in, day out, their whole life without a break in sight. There were no days off in slavery in Egypt. There were no holidays. There were no vacations. There were no weekends. There were no Sabbaths. They would have worked until they died. <laughs> Literally. And now God is about to grant them the gift of rest for a full day out of seven. Now, unfortunately, it may not sound as wonderful today to us as the busyness of our lives screams at us to not slow down. <laughs> and that if we do, we will only get behind. See, our resistance to continuing to keep one day out of seven holy is not simply because we are disobedient. It's because we have drunk the Kool-Aid of a world of progress and productivity. And a day off to not continuing doing what I'm supposed to be doing puts us behind in that track of progress. But as we've already said, the image of God, being created in the image of God, does not mean that you and I are essentially producers. <laughs> our worth is not based on our contribution to this world. If that was core and essential to what it meant to be an image-bearing human being, it would make little sense to have one day in seven where production was not happening. And then, bless it. <laughs> Listen to how David Atkinson puts it. I think a portion of this was on the screen earlier. Human life is meant to include more than labor, more than the struggle for the appropriate stewardship of the world, more than the reforming of society. The six plus one alternation of work and rest is not the rhythm of work plus recovery so as to simply be able to go back to work. It's a rhythm of engagement with the world in work and then thankful enjoyment of the world in worship. In worship. That's Sabbath. That's rest. More than simply recovering so that we can go back, we can wake up tomorrow, go back to work and do it all over again. 
And it was so important for God to set aside and make one day special for his people that he, he also called it holy. In a period of time, getting set aside as holy only happens one other time in the Bible. And it only happens once a year. Here, God is setting a period of time aside, calling it holy, once a week. A day set aside to celebrate the wonder of God's creation and God's creativity itself. It's here that we most closely mirror God's rest on the seventh day. For he did that as well. When he finished his work of creation, he enjoyed it. Each day he looked back and he said, this is good. Then of humanity, it's very good. Now he's taking, he's finished with creation. And so our mirroring him in his rest is to bask in the wonder of what God has done in his works of creation. And now on this side of the death, resurrection, and ascension of his son Jesus, his work of redemption as well. But it's hard for us to see this as a gift. Because our reaction with the commandment to keep the Sabbath holy is often what our reaction is to other commandments. It feels constraining. (laughs) But Jesus says that the Sabbath was made for man, for humanity, not the other way around. And that's not to say that we can simply cast off any guardrails on what our Sabbath should look like it, should look like. But there's more than two options here. The situation is not binary. It's not simply the absolute legalism that the Pharisees had made it out to be that we want to run away from as fast as possible, and we should, on the one hand. (laughs) Or on the other, there's absolutely no considerations whatsoever of how to keep this day holy and distinct and different on the other. But it requires wisdom to do well. But those aren't our only two choices. As we close, we would do well to remember Jesus' words on rest. Because in Jesus himself, we actually find an anecdote to our need for control. (laughs) In Jesus himself, we actually find an anecdote for our constant need to be measuring our worth by our contributions. In Jesus, we find the anecdote... (laughs) keep us from striving into ways that we engage in in order to feel competent and worthy. The ways that we, we try to impress others by seemingly having it all together and putting on a good spiritual game face. All the ways that you and I strive to prove to God that we worth, we're worth saving in the first place. To all of that absolutely exhausting way of doing life, Jesus says simply, come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's not saying I will give you naps. (laughs) He's not saying I will... I will give you relaxation. He's saying, I will remove the unrest of your soul. All the unrest that you've created in your life by your own sin, all the unrest and turmoil that you experience from being in a broken world, 
the unrest in your soul. I will give you peace in the midst of the adversity, in the midst of the trial. I will give you a sense of my ballast-setting presence. And perhaps now is a good time as any for us as a congregation to remember that rest that Jesus, Jesus promises. My friends, I have no doubt so many of you are likely weary <laughs> and heavy laden in this season of transition. If only we had the energy <laughs> of the little ones among us. But my friends, even in this time, may we not forget, may we remember that Jesus is promising his rest, that this is not a time, this is not an interruption to who we are as a congregation and in our mission and in our vision to be a light to Palm Bay. This is not a temporary season where we're waiting and then eventually we'll get a senior pastor here and we'll get the the mission back on track. No, my friends, (laughs) as Dave was alluding to in his prayer earlier, Jesus says, now I'm offering you rest. And so may our Sabbath, may our day of rest be now both a replay and a reminder on the one hand and a rehearsal on the other. A replay, a reproduction of the rest we already have in Jesus, but also a rehearsal of the ultimate rest we will one day have when Jesus returns to complete his work of new creation when he completes his work of making all things new, when he completes his work of removing all that is disordered, all the turmoil, all the sin, and all its effects, that day is coming. May this day, this Sabbath day, be that time where we remember again and again, weekly, the very rest that we have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... We thank you for your word. We thank you that for a myriad of reasons, it's not easy for us to think of one day out of seven to be a day that is set aside as holy, to be different and distinct. We do live in a culture when so many demands are on our lives. We are demanded to produce and to contribute Father, may we see this day as a gift from you. That in our resting on this day, it is a resting on your care, your providential care that you are still engaged in. Jesus, may we look to you. May we look to you as the one who ultimately can bring us internal rest that we so desperately need and we spend so much of our time striving after in ways and in places and in areas and in things that can never deliver that ultimate rest. Jesus, bring us back, remind us once again that you do make good on your word, that when we do come to you, you will give us rest. We pray these things for your sake. Amen.